0: All right, welcome back to the Foul Balls Podcast. I'm here with Chris Durrell, and we're going to talk some NASCAR DFS, a sport that I don't really know much about, but I'm here to learn, and hopefully this will be informative for everyone else. So welcome, Chris. What's going on?
1: Not much. Just kind of prepping everything for this week's race at Martinsville.
0: All right, so when you're doing race prep, the first thing you have to look at is, I guess the point scoring matters for every sport, but... It's, it's a lot different in NASCAR, so just how is it so different than every other sport?
1: Okay, well, most people, uh, I guess, think that finishing position, and obviously that is important. Uh, you get, like, for first place, you're going to get 46 points. Second place car is going to get 42, and then 41 for third, and then all the way down to uh, 40. Right, right now, there's only been about 37, 38 cars in the races, um, so they're going to end with about four points for 40th place, and then, uh, fifth, you know, 39 39th place is five points so that that's the first thing that you look at but uh, that's definitely not all the scoring and the reason every week is different Um, you get points for place differentials. so if you have a driver that starts in 30th finishes 10th he's going to get 20 bonus points vice versa if he starts 10th and finishes 30th he's going to lose 20 points so that's one thing to take into consideration Um, that's another reason why qualifying is very important and then Dominator points is the other side of the coin there, and all that means is your fast laps and laps led. So for every lap that a driver leads, he's going to get a quarter of a draft king point, and for every fast lap, so only one car is going to obviously be fastest every single lap, going to get a half point for that. So those two usually correlate pretty closely because if you're leading laps, you're most likely going to have the fastest car on the track. So that's three quarters of a draft king point. Now, that's kind of where you're scoring Uh, Comes from and the like I said, the reason that every week is different is because every track is obviously different. So, the first race of the season, the Daytona 500, there's not as many laps as, say, a short track like this week where there's 500 laps. So, the big thing on the restrictor plate tracks, which are your Daytona and Talladega, there's four, two races at each, four races overall on a restrictor plate tractor in the season. The big thing for those races uh, to keep in mind when looking at strategy is Place differential is going to be huge, so you're really targeting guys that are going to be starting back in the pack, because um, it is very easy to move the way to the front, especially when you're talking drafting and stuff. So that's kind of a strategy for that. Versus you get to the mile and a half tracks, which make up a third of the tracks overall in the season. Um, they call it, you know cookie cutters, the mile and a half intermediate tracks. You really want to concentrate a little bit more on your dominator points. So I really, when I start out the week. When I start my spreadsheet each week, um, I get into current track history, which is the last two years, how a driver's performed, career track history, and then I also get into track type right. history, current form, season form, and that just kind of gives you an uh, indication of you know who's been good on this track in the past. Um, kind of gives you some some pregame targets, I guess, pre-race targets. But the most important part is once you get into the weekend, we start getting into the practices and the qualifying. So qualifying, of course, is going to be important when you're looking for your place differential points because, like last week, we had 13 drivers that didn't even qualify. They started in the back of the pack. Some of those were big cars. I'd say six or seven of them were big cars, all four Hendrick Motorsports cars. So they have a lot of positive place differential and double-digit place differential. So last week was a little bit different in that sense just because qualifying was crazy. But once you get that qualifying data and practice data, you can really start analyzing the practices, who is not just fastest on single lap runs, but who is fastest on uh, 10 lap runs, 10 lap averages. And those are going to be the cars that are good in the long run. So those are the guys that you're going to be targeting for uh, dominator points.
0: All right, a couple of questions. I guess I didn't know that the laps were different lengths. I guess I guess it sort of makes sense that all the tracks aren't exactly the same laps. But is it generally yeah. true that, it's either shorter laps and more of them, or longer laps and less of them, or is it kind of just, it? there can be races where the laps are long, and there are a lot of laps, and there can be races where there are shorter laps, and there just aren't a lot either.
1: No, you nailed it there. Um, like, for instance, Daytona, Talladega, they're two and a half mile tracks, so they're, a, they're larger tracks, and therefore they use a smaller, you know, shorter amount of laps, versus this week, it's a short track, it's only... I think is what they rated at Martinsville 0.526 of a mile per lap so that's why there's 500 laps and with that 500 laps obviously there's a lot more laps that can be led so we really start gearing up towards dominator points for tracks like this Um, like for instance this week at Martinsville looking back at the last six races there's been at least two drivers to lead 100 or more laps in five of the last six races so there's going to be a lot of dominator points to be had this week, and that's going to make up a lot of your scoring. I see. And, and you, can, yeah. you can kind of look at those dominators just from practices to see who is fastest in those practices. So those are the kind of the guys that I look at. And dominator points usually come from the guys that are starting inside the top five, uh, top ten.
0: Okay, so when you're talking about track history for a specific driver, is there a lot of correlation for the drivers from – type of track to the same type of track like when you're talking about how they usually perform in one race they probably do similarly in other races where it's a similar number of laps and a similar track length is that generally a pretty good predictor of how they'll perform it let's say it's a brand new track that no one's ever raced at you would want to look at a different track where the lap is about the same length and the race is the same length
1: yes that is correct so um i do another cheat sheet um, I do a weekly cheat sheet, but I also do a race-by-race uh, race trend sheet. And that kind of looks at, you know, not just ownership and salary, but also DraftKings points performance, not just on each individual track, but I group the track types together. Um, so, yeah, there there isn't any new tracks there have – I believe since uh, Kentucky a few years ago but uh, if there was a new mile and a half track to pop up that's one thing that definitely I would go to first is go and look at those one and a half mile intermediate tracks and look at the drivers that have done good over the last couple years and I I really tend to lean towards current track history over the last couple years versus career track history because a lot of these tracks do repaves Um, they you know the track changes the drivers change so more current track history versus the career track history. Career track history I just kind of use to see who's been really dominant here over their career. And then you can kind of really compare the two to see, you know, maybe who's who's trended down versus, you know, recently versus who's trending up. So
0: use right. that as well. I think I only have a little bit more just in terms of basic questions before we get into, like, the lineup construction component. Um, sure. So – the qualifiers. How much do those speeds of the drivers translate to the actual races? Like that seems to predict how fast they're going to drive pretty well. Um, and then I'm trying to remember the other thing that popped up. Now I think you covered the other part already. So yeah, just that. Like those those are really good indicators for how fast that, or how the race is going to play out, right?
1: Yeah, looking at your practices, especially for your front runners, um, when decide when you're looking at your finished position, especially it's kind of hard because there's a lot of variance in crashes penalties um you know blown tires blown engines and stuff but just looking at it without any of that variance in there um, when trying to come up with say a projected top 10 finish looking at your practice speeds and one thing um to pay attention to is most weeks i would say probably about 80 to 85 percent of the weeks you're going to have first practice come on friday afternoon and then qualifying a little bit later friday afternoon and then you're going to have two final practices on saturday I never pay attention or weigh, I don't, okay, I pay attention, but I don't weigh in my model um, first practice, because most cars in first practice are going out there, most teams are going out there setting up their cars to make a good qualifying run, which is like a one, two lap run, and in those qualifying runs, they're taping up the front of the car for better downforce, loosening the suspension a bit, so they can go really fast for one or two laps kind of thing to qualify, so that doesn't really translate to, how they're going to do in the race versus after qualifying, when we get to those final two practices on Saturday, those are the two practices that I weigh a lot. And like I said, I don't just look at the single single car runs or sorry, not single car runs, but single lap runs. I also look at their 10 lap averages. So those two final practices are definitely the most important. And I kind of take an average of those two looking at speeds and then kind of rank them that way. And that gives me a good indicator in my model of who's going to be fast not just on the short runs, but also on the long runs. And you can really kind of make a projection from there as who your top ten finishes are going to be.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you really need to break it down numerically because if you're dealing with um, track history as a component and then you have the recent performance of a driver, just the overall ability of a driver, you kind of just have all of these variables that all have different levels of importance and you kind of have to weigh them all together. I'm not really sure how you would build NASCAR lineups without having... Some sort of core number or projection system. It's kind of like baseball, where you, if you don't know the raw ability of the hitter, you're just trying to, I don't know, like subjectively guess it all together. It, it's, you're just not going to get anywhere close. Like it seems like a very numbers-driven sport, which is weird because yeah. to most people, NASCAR DFS is just pick the guy who's going to drive the fastest, and it seems like it's, it's obviously way more than that. And there, well, that's before you even get to all the different ways to score points. Um, yeah,
1: and that's actually a good transition into you know a little bit of lineup construction. Like you mentioned, last week was one. I got a lot of questions after the race, like why didn't I finish better? I had you know my drivers finished second, fourth, seventh, and tenth, but I barely cashed in, in my you know my cash games or GPPs. But last week, like I said, was crazy because of qualifying. Um, there was a lot of cars that started back in the field, so there was a lot of place differential value. Looking at the winning lineup of the Slingshot, unfortunately it wasn't me, but uh, looking at the winning lineup, um, the, the winner had the guy who finished first, third, and ninth. Those were his only top tens. The other finishers were 11th, 15th, and 28th. So that just kind of emphasizes that, that exactly like you said, you can't just build a lineup on guys that you, you know finish one, two, three, four, five, six because that's not going to get you the most DraftKings points. So the correlation there is big, too. And like I said, every week is going to be different, um, just depending on qualifying. If that qualifying happened normally, and there was only a couple of those plays, differential plays, we would be looking at a totally different situation for a winning lineup last week.
0: So... Okay, so there's basically four ways to score points, right? You have the high finishes, you have laps led, you have fastest laps, and you have place differential. That's correct. So fastest laps and laps led, you don't really have to worry about... Well, I guess you could kind of go for a lineup construction where two drivers each get one of those things, but they do seem to kind of overlap a lot, like you said. Yes. I think there's probably some... Slight correlation between those two things and either the winner of the race and also the place differential. So I guess if someone's driving fast and leading laps, they're probably going to finish near the top. They're probably going to win the race or they could move up a lot in the race. The big problem, I guess, correlation wise, though, is the place differential play and the winner. Because you can't move up that much and expect to come to first, right? Like someone who qualified 20th doesn't win very often. Usually the winner comes from the top of the field because it's easier to move from, I guess, 50th to 30th than from 20th to first. That's correct. There's more potential cars you can pass. If you're 20th, you have to pass those exact 19. If you're 50th, you could pass any 20 cars out of 50.
1: Right. And, yeah, um... Like I said, Daytona and Talladega are a little bit different where you can start from the back. You know, you can work your way forward a lot easier than this week on a very short track where passing's a little bit tougher just because the track is smaller, um, tight corners, tighter track kind of thing. But definitely uh, looking at your... It is easier for someone who's starting inside the top ten to lead a bunch of laps and finish up front. And like you said, um, just it's probably about ninety—I'd have to check—but about ninety to, to ninety-five percent of the time, the person that leads the most laps, the dominator of the race, whether there be one or two, those guys have a very high correlation of finishing top three and or and or winning the race for sure.
0: So if there's someone who's starting in first position, who you expect to have the fastest laps and lead the most laps. They're pretty likely going to win the race, and they're also the most expensive, and they're going to be the highest-owned driver. Is that still someone you can lock into most lineups, or is there enough variability in the results where it makes sense to go for ownership fades and that sort of thing? Like, If, if someone is really likely to win, but they have 60 or 70% ownerships, how do you weigh playing that person?
1: That's that works kind of right into last week because Kevin Harvick had the fastest car. He came in red hot winning three straight races. Um he started up he started 10th, so he wasn't he wasn't exactly starting up front, but uh he was going to be the highest owned. Some of those place differential plays last week took away from his ownership. So he was only about 45% in GPP uh ownership last week, but it really came down to if you, how many lineups you're building. If I was only building one single lineup this, last week, I would have had him in that lineup just because he was fastest in 10-lap averages in final practice. Like I said, he came in red hot. He's done good on that track in the past, um, so I would have had him. But when I start building multiple lineups, that's where you can really start You know, playing, take the variance of the sport and use that to your advantage when building GPP lineups. Because the lineup that won last week um, didn't have Kevin Harvick, obviously, because he crashed out early. He didn't crash out of the race, but he got in trouble and he ended up finishing, I believe it was like 35th or something like that, uh, with negative 10 DraftKings points. So 45% of the field right there is dead. Um, So building contrarian lineups uh, is definitely something that I'll do. So usually, I, build, I like to play the 20 maxes, so I'll usually go, if he's going to be the chalk guy, he's the fastest car, it looks like he's going to lead a bunch of laps, I'm going to go with probably, if he's going to be 50% owned, I'm going to try and get 60% of him in my laps. I like to be overweight on that on that guy. So that's going to be somewhere in the range of uh, 12 lineups or something like that. And then I'll build eight contrarian lineups with OTM, And it's kind of easy to do, to pick out, say for sure the top five in ownership every week because the place differential after qualifying is a big indicator of who's going to be high owned. So you can really take guys in the exact same range who you know are going to be um, 5% owned, 8% owned, and use them instead of Kevin Harvick. Uh, just using Kevin Harvick as an example here. You can use – another thing that I found is like uh, Eric Jones. He's a younger driver, second year in the in the, in the Cup Series. When he starts inside the top ten, he's normally going to be lower owned because he's not—he's not a big name. He hasn't won a race in the sport or in the Cup Series yet, and you can get him at low ownership. He's finished with three straight top tens now, and at low ownership, he's not going to get you dominator points. He's not going to get you place differential points, but he gets you low ownership and a high finish, which is still getting thirty to forty DraftKings points. So when things fall right, Kevin Harvick crashes out. One of the Place differential high owned guys crashes out or doesn't gain a whole bunch of spots like you expect. Those Eric Joneses that aren't going to lead a bunch of laps or pick up dominator or dominator points or place differential uh, can definitely be in the winning lineups.
0: Yeah, well, you're definitely right because I've heard of Kevin Harvick and I've never heard of Eric Jones. So like, if I were building a NASCAR lineup not knowing anything, I'd be much more likely to use Kevin Harvick. And I'm sure there are a lot of people playing in in contests like for the Daytona 500 who just you know they kind of just wing it and they pick yep. the names they've heard of exactly um so what do you think is more reliable from like a random randomness perspective a high finish or a place differential like who who are you more confident actually gets the points that you're expecting them to get because there is a lot of randomness in the sport it seems like so where do you like wh- who how do you come up with more stable plays is it those place differentials or the high finishes
1: and again, that comes back to track type and, and every week being different. So like this week, um, there can be a lot of crashes and it can be very unpredictable at Martinsville. Um, so not necessarily like Kyle Busch is going to be probably the highest owned before even seen practice or qualifying. He's led 813 laps here in the last four races at Martinsville. Um for average of 135 DraftKings points. Well, that's like 30 or 40 more points more than the guy in seconds over the last two years. So right there, people are going to see that. He's good, probably in GBPs, depending on where guys start and where place differential is, he's going to be over 50% owned this week. So again, he's going to be someone um, I think is, has, he has the ability because he's really good on short tracks to lead a bunch of laps. So again, I'm going to have 60% of them in my lineups, but – when it comes to the tracks where place differential is big, like I said, uh, the, the larger tracks where there's less laps, um, qualifying maybe isn't as important to start up front, stuff like that. That's where the place differential comes in. So it's really a different, a moving strategy every week. Uh, and it really depends on qualifying. If I tell people not even, you know, reserve your lineups before qualifying, but really don't be making lineups and making them concrete lineups before qualifying, because that's just throwing away money.
0: So what percentage of the field do you think actually has any idea about any of this? Like do most people not know what they're doing or that also just varies a lot week to week?
1: I think, you know, I think this is like the third year of DFS NASCAR. So I think it's getting better. So I I would say probably 60 to 70 percent kind of know what they're doing now and actually follow models look at practice and qualifying and stuff. But, you know, the first year you could really take advantage. There's a lot more edge out there because people were, like you said, just picking their favorite driver, guys that they knew and just really targeting like finishing position, thinking that one, two, three, four, five, six, if you have those six drivers that finished one to six, if that, I mean, that's not always going to happen just because of salary restrictions, but a lot of people built their lineups that way that you want six guys inside the top 10. And that just, that's just not the case. Um, Stars and scrubs is a, is a way I go a lot almost every week no matter what. I always try and get one punt play in there just because, if, especially this week, when I said there was more, two or more drivers to lead 100 or more laps in five of the last six races at Martinsville, I want two guys that are showing that they have a fast car and have the potential to lead a lot of laps. Like you also mentioned, those guys are normally going to be the most expensive drivers. So fitting two guys over 10K in your lineup is tough. you got to start dipping down into the 6K and below range and that's those are to me are some of the key plays each week which guys you pick down there because they're not going to get you a ton of points at $5,000 5,500 you're only looking for maybe 15 to 20 points as you're ceiling. so you really got to pay attention to those practice times quali- qualifying for those guys down there and those are going to be some key decisions when making your lineups
0: are you someone who watches the races and I guess like how do you root for your lineups like are I, I haven't really watched a ton of NASCAR in my life, but I've definitely never watched with any real rooting interest. So, like, are you hoping that, like, cars wipe out or, like, how, how does that work? Yeah, that
1: that's tough because I play, like I said, I play a lot of lineups and I get exposure. If there's 38 cars, like there's 38 cars this week, probably going to, I try and narrow my field down to about, 12, maybe 13, so like a third of the field kind of thing. So I'm really looking at the guys that I have the most exposure to, which are going to be, say, this week, uh, Brad Kozlowski and Kyle Bush. I'm really going to watch those cars. But then the guys that I'm fading, not so much hoping that they crash, but uh, hoping that they maybe don't have the fast cars like I predicted and maybe fall back in the field, thus losing place differential points. And to be honest, I'm pretty much a hardcore where I watch every single practice qualifying session pretty much all of every single race and then I try and get to as many races as I can. I've only been to two races in my life now. Living up in Canada, I'm about Michigan would be my closest and it's like, oh, I don't know, 16 to 20 hour drive away. So I've never (laughs) even been there yet.
0: (laughs) Um, I I guess uh, this kind of just popped in my head, but in some sports, like there's value, at least a little bit of value to the eye test. Like you can kind of see some stuff like in basketball, you can see that when certain players are on the court together, maybe one is more inclined to pass to a certain player and they don't pass to somebody else. Or you can kind of see how the coaches influence the games and things like that. Is there any potential insight to, to be gotten by watching NASCAR in person or that's just pure fun? Like what can you see when you're actually there live?
1: So the biggest thing is when you're just following your, say like a ticker on Fox sports to see where your guys are, or even DraftKings, which I tell people I don't even watch during the race my DraftKings scoring, because you can, at one point, you could, you know, it's showing you that you're winning $20,000, and within like five seconds or one lap of the race, you're at zero, and it can go up and down all day long, because of pit stops, so that's one thing that I really like watching on TV, or when I'm at the race, that's one thing I really like to concentrate on, especially this year with so many rule changes, the pit stops are taking two to four seconds longer at some points, so kind of watching what crews are doing in the pit stops, how drivers are coming in. Those are some of the things that you can watch, um, how racers race each other on the track. That's something you can't see just by watching a ticker. Some guys have rivalries. So when they get close together, it's what I really like watching like this week will be Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin. Hamlin took out Elliott last year in Martinsville race in November um, to kind of end his playoff run, and he was looking, LA was looking to get his first career win, Hamlin took him out, so that's kind of going to be a rivalry to watch this week, one of the biggest stories going on, so just those things from week to week are, are really good to watch, and just, you don't really know from following a ticker, what happened to that guy, why why is Kevin Harvick now out of the race, he screwed me over, well he tried to side draft off another car and got loose, and then smacked the wall um, so that's kind of what happened, and without seeing that, you don't, you don't really get a feel of why that happened and, you know, you don't really get a feel for some of that variance that is in the sport.
0: Right. It's nice to know that when a play doesn't work out, the reason that it didn't work out, so you can kind of adjust and see if you should have a similar way of thinking for the next time and just hope for a better outcome, or if you if there's something you missed and then you need to actually change the thought process a little bit, it's good to actually see it play out like that sometimes.
1: And that's another one for uh, your restrictor play tracks where there's a lot of... Uh, um, you know, cars working together just to see which teammates and which teams work well together and which ones don't because if a car gets caught out there by himself, say a Chevy that's around a whole bunch of Fords and Toyotas, that's also not good either. So that's another lineup construction for say a Talladega or a Daytona is actually stacking teammates and same manufacturers because they will work together.
0: Huh, interesting. That is not something I would have known either. And I guess I wouldn't have known most of this stuff. You probably just expanded my NASCAR knowledge by about a thousand <laughs> times and it's probably similar for most of the people listening.
1: Well, that's good. That's kind of what I'm, uh hoping to do so um, because there is a lot more to it than just cars going left I get told that all the time well why do you play fantasy NASCAR it's just cars going left you just want the top 10 finishers right well there's a lot especially on DraftKings. I play in a lot of leagues where finishing position is big and we don't do place differential but for DraftKings, especially it's it's huge that place differential those dominator points watching practice uh, pit stops all the stuff put together it's it's a lot bigger than than a lot of people uh, maybe give it credit for
0: yeah, and it definitely sounds like an edge if uh, some of the participants don't actually know the scoring system. It definitely seems like it would work in your favor. Yep. Uh, all right. Is there anything else you want to throw in? Because I think that that just about covers everything that I was curious about.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I'm going to post my Martinsville cheat sheet in the Slack chat here today. And then, uh, like I said, it gets updated. Practice this week is on. Two practices on Saturday afternoon, and then qualifying actually comes this week after those two practices. And then, again, I'm going to be doing a live video Sunday morning or Saturday night late. Um, you can re-watch it so you don't have to watch it live. And I'm just going to kind of go over my top picks. You can ask me questions on there, and I'm available on Slack chat pretty much
0: 24-7. All right, cool. Well, this has been fun. Uh, thanks, Chris. And hopefully we can do it again sometime.
1: Oh, anytime.